0: take your Bibles and turn with me to the gospel of Matthew chapter 10. Matthew's gospel chapter 10 verses 16 through 20 will be our passage for this morning. We've been talking over the past few weeks about spiritual disciplines, building rhythms of life and patterns of behavior conducive to heartfelt devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the label spiritual disciplines can come off in our setting as somewhat conflicted often discipline and devotion are seen as somehow at odds with one another the reality is that often god is pleased to meet with us devotionally in the throes of our rigor and discipline we've talked for instance in previous weeks about Bible intake, about the reading and the study of the Bible, having a regular time of reading the Bible. How often is God to, God pleased to meet us there, to nourish our soul in the reading of his word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We've talked about prayer how often it is that god is pleased to meet with us in that sweet and precious fellowship with jesus that comes in seasons of prayer enabling in us the ability to pray without ceasing not only prayer in the formal sense hands clasped and eyes closed and knees bowed but throughout the course of our day prompted to pray and to bring our needs before jesus the discipline of prayer gives rise to good devotion and sensitivity to the work of the Spirit throughout the day, prompting us to pray endlessly to the Lord Jesus Christ, even in worship, giving ourselves to the corporate worship of Jesus, that we might be encouraged and even compelled over the course of the days that follow, prompted by the subtle things of life, a picturesque landscape, reminding us that the heavens and the earth, all of creation, are telling the glory of of our God. You see where discipline makes space for heartfelt, warm, affectionate devotion to Jesus. This morning I want to talk about the spiritual discipline of evangelism. And and it is a spiritual discipline. I want to touch on the discipline at, at two levels. One, there ought to be intentionality in sharing the message of the gospel. Jesus has commanded us in the Great Commission that we would go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We ought to intentionally be faithful to discharge the responsibility that is ours under the Great Commission. Faithfulness to Jesus will not happen accidentally in your life, but with great intentionality, focus on sharing the message of the gospel. When we talk about evangelism specifically, usually the focus is on those with whom we share. When we share, we like to wonder what God might be pleased to do through the communication of that message. But I want to emphasize this morning that there is devotional quality in the discipline of evangelism. Not just for what God might do in the heart of the person with whom we share, but what God is actively doing in the heart of the person who is sharing. There is a sense of nearness to God when we're engaged in the work of telling others about the glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what I really want to press at this morning. I can trace the high water marks in my life of walking close to Jesus as concurrent with those seasons when I was most actively, most diligently sharing the message of the gospel with people who are far from Jesus. So what I want to say to you this morning is that not only should there be intentionality in our efforts to share the message of the gospel, but if you are among those who desires to be nearer the Lord Jesus Christ, There are few disciplines that have greater effect than the simple act of sharing the message of the gospel with those that you come in contact with. Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 20. If you found your way there, join me in standing out of respect and honor for the reading of God's holy word. verse 16, Jesus speaking here, the Bible says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as harmless as doves, because people will hand you over to Sanhedrin's and flog you in their synagogues. Beware of them. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the nations. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you should speak, for you'll be given what to say at that hour, because you're not speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. May the Lord bless and honor the reading and the preaching of his holy word. You may be seated. Evangelism, even saying evangelism, can strike fear into the heart of the Christian. You can have a prayer meeting and a 100 people will show up. You can have a fellowship meeting and 500 people will show up you, you can have some type of activity that does not require the direct engagement that does not provide the potential for awkwardness embarrassment or intimidation and scores of people will show up but if you start talking about an evangelism meeting canvassing a community or training in the act of evangelism you can almost count that your hospitality budget will be greatly reduced for that particular event. We are intimidated by evangelism. We're afraid of evangelism. And frankly, our culture is not conducive to the kind of obedience that evangelism calls us to. We're not keen on direct speech, declarative statements, or the kind of conversation which might eventually indicate the conviction of the church, which is, in effect, that the world has it all wrong and the answers may all be found in Jesus. These are just the concerns that arise before we ever get to the question of whether or not we're comfortable articulating the message of the gospel or we have the ability to express the gospel in clear terminology such that others might understand it. But what if I told you this morning... That the awkward conversation that you're so afraid of engaging in is the very place that Jesus desires to meet closely with us. What, what, What if the awkward conversation, the potentially embarrassing moment, is precisely the place that Jesus wants to meet you? Would you then go to that place? What if the Lord is waiting in those spots with those appointments and those scenarios that make you uneasy, that you otherwise avoid? Would the presence of Jesus there be enough to compel you to go into difficult circumstances, at times even into dark places with the message of the gospel? Oh, I would hope it would compel you to go. We ought to define some terminology before pressing into our passage. When we talk about evangelism, we are talking about the simple act of communicating the message of the gospel to people far and wide. Kneecap to kneecap, eyeball to eyeball, door to door, city to city, village to village, country to country, until the very ends of the earth. That's what evangelism is about. Sharing the message of the gospel. As my five-year-old likes to say when he wants something someone else has, sharing is caring, Right? But what of the message of the gospel? What is the gospel? As I was sort of coming into my own as a minister, the big talk and often the approach to sharing the gospel was the ABCs of evangelism. Admit that you are a sinner. Believe on Jesus. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now that's a nobly intended approach to sharing the gospel, but please note that although admitting and believing and confessing is an appropriate way of responding to the message of the gospel. It is not, in and of itself, the message of the gospel. The gospel story is our source of power. It is the strength and stay of our soul. The simple story of how God so loved the world that he sent forth his only son. That Jesus, the only begotten of God, lived in perfect righteousness fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law, giving his life at the cross a ransom for many, his blood atoning for all our sin, his death on the cross satisfying the wrath of God against sinful people buried in a borrowed grave, raised again on the third day, that we might have the hope of life everlasting, the promise of our own resurrection from the dead. That is the message of the gospel. It is the power of our evangelism that we would express that message, inviting men and women and boys and girls that they would indeed admit and believe and confess not making the mistake of assuming that the world around us knows the story of God's great grace in the sending forth of his only son now there are challenges in evangelism admittedly Jesus acknowledges as much in verses 16 and 17 He is honest about the difficulties that often arise in the process of our efforts to share the message of the gospel, that message of hope with those we come in contact with. Look now to verse 16. Jesus says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as harmless as doves, because people will hand you over to Sanhedrins and flog you in their synagogues. Beware of them. One of the things that I appreciate about the teaching ministry of Jesus is his frank honesty. He pulls no punches. Jesus calls it as it is. Now, the difficulties that Jesus describes in our passage are a much higher degree, a much greater intensity of difficulty than that which you and I tend to face in our cultural context. Usually, it requires far less than being flogged in the synagogue or handed over to kings and governors to prevent us from communicating the message of the gospel. Usually it's merely the prospect of awkwardness or embarrassment or intimidation, pressure from our peers that keep us back from sharing that message. But that does not negate the benefits of what Jesus exhorts us to in the passage. He offers, in light of the difficulty of evangelism, a few very straightforward admonitions. He says, first of all, and most obviously, be careful. You should take care as to the circumstances you allow yourself to fall into in the sharing of the gospel. Be wise, be cautious, be careful. One of the most beneficial courses I ever took as a seminary student was a course titled The History of Persecution and Martyrdom in the Church. It was a team-taught seminar. There was a church history professor who handled the history component and a missions professor who had served for 20 years in the Middle East, who handled the persecution and martyrdom component. This missionary to the Middle East told as an example of the kind of caution that Jesus called us to, the story of a young man in Lebanon who'd come to faith in Jesus. The hours after coming to faith in Christ emboldened By the less than wise exhortation of the one who had shared the gospel with him, marched in to a local military station and boldly declared his faith in Jesus. The response of the officer was to draw his pistol, place it between his eyes, and pull the trigger. Now, is that wise? Is that what Jesus is calling us to in the passage? Absolutely not. In all likelihood, the exercise of wisdom in your experience, the exercise of caution in your experience is of far less immediate danger than that example from Lebanon in decades past. But there should be wisdom. There should be discretion about how we approach the sharing of the gospel. It's not just caution that Jesus calls us to. He says, continuing in verse 16, therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as harmless as doves. Some of your translations may say, be as wise as the serpent. In the ancient Near East, the serpent was symbolic of wisdom. In fact, in Egyptian hieroglyphics, a snake was indicative of wisdom or shrewdness. The snake has different connotations in our culture. If if there were American hieroglyphics, the snake would stand for politicians, perhaps. I would not exhort you to be snaky, but I would exhort you to be wise, to exercise discretion, to be careful and cautious in your sharing of the gospel. Jesus goes on to say you should not only be as shrewd or as wise as the serpent, but as harmless or as gentle as the dove. If a person is to be offended at the gospel, let it be the substance, the message of the gospel itself that brings them offense, not the prickly nature of our personality, not, not the tone with which we speak when referring to the message of the gospel. I will have been married for 20 years in just a couple of weeks. If I have learned nothing in 20 years of marriage, it is that tone is a really big deal to a lot of people, right? Be winsome and be wise in your articulation of the message of the gospel. Several years ago, I was listening to Tim Keller talk about sharing the gospel in a New York City metropolitan context. And I found his wisdom to be so incredibly helpful. This this is a great model for what it looks like to be as wise as the serpent and as gentle as the dove in communicating the gospel. More often than not, in that context, when you begin a spiritual conversation, the person would respond, I don't believe in God or I'm an atheist or some expression of that sort. And usually for Christians, that that means that we have done our duty and we turn away abruptly from that conversation. Frankly, for the atheist, it's a kind of kind way of indicating I am disinterested in anything that you have to say about the existence of God or whatever your preferred religion might be. It's an effort on the part of the atheist usually to sort of duck and dodge the question without offending in some way the person who's engaged them in conversation. Keller's response was not to turn away abruptly, but to ask them a simple question. Tell me about the God you don't believe in. I might not believe in him either. I just found that to be so incredibly helpful at opening the doors of conversation and inviting a person to give expression to their frustrations, their doubts, their unbelief with regards to the God of the Bible, at least as they had imagined it. And often, what you'll find is that the kind of God expressed or described in that conversation, you nor I believe in either. Now, we don't so often run into the atheistic forms of that kind of opposition in sharing the gospel in our cultural context. That can be the case. But more often, you'll find those who have a problem with organized religion, which I've never been able to define. Those who have been offended in some way by the church in their past—a pastor or people who claim to be Christians—who've done them some harm over the course of their life—winsomeness and wisdom in that setting is affording them the opportunity. Affording them the opportunity to give expression to their doubts, to their unbelief, to their points of frustration, thereby opening a door that you might articulate to them the message of the gospel. Jesus says, be careful, be cautious, be wise, be gentle, be as harmless as the dove in your expressions of the gospel. In verse 18, Jesus goes on to say something about these hardships that I think we neglect to notice at times. He says, you will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the nations. I want to read that again with with a little different spin so that you can better sense what Jesus is indicating here. Verse 18 again, you will even be brought before governors and kings because of me in order to bear witness to them and to the nations what jesus is saying here is not only will there be challenges but he promises to use the challenges created by evangelism for evangelism in fact all of the book of acts is the story of the ways that god used challenges in evangelism for evangelism peter and john are arrested and they're brought before the sanhedrin The only reason they have access to that tribunal for the purpose of preaching the gospel is because they had been arrested for the preaching of the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, chapters 1 through 8, the story is of of the gospel in Jerusalem. And in spite of Jesus' exhortation to them that they should take the gospel into Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world, the church found itself comfortable within the confines of Jerusalem until the challenges made by evangelism arose persecution breaks out and the church is pressed into the regions of Judea and Samaria for the preaching of the gospel later in Acts chapter 13 the difficulties of preaching in Judea and Samaria forced the church to the uttermost parts of the world Jesus is advancing evangelism by the hardships created in evangelism. How in the world was it that Paul found an audience with Festus and Felix, governors in the region, for the preaching of the gospel? It was by the hardships created in evangelism that God was pleased to use for evangelism. How in the world does Paul find himself in front of King Agrippa for the purpose of the preaching of the gospel? It was the way God used the hardships in evangelism for evangelism. All of the story of Acts, how in the world... Within a span of very few years, does the gospel get from this little Palestinian region all the way out to the Italian peninsula. It was the way God used the hardships in evangelism for evangelism, thrusting Paul and others into the uttermost parts of the world through persecution, through hardship, through intimidation, through the challenges that almost universally arise when we give ourselves to the sharing of the message of the gospel can you imagine the interest and the intrigue created in the hearts of citizens of jerusalem when the sanhedrin had peter and james and john flogged for their faith in jesus i mean you've always got some rabble-rousing group out there in israel up to something right This is not a new phenomenon that there'd be this sectarian group of people with a new message, with a new twist, with something of a new religion out here claiming that Jesus, this prophet from Galilee, had been raised from the dead. But when called before the Sanhedrin and charged that they must no longer preach in Jesus' name, can you imagine how that act itself piqued the interest of citizens in Jerusalem? was talking about one of our church plants with our pastors the other day and the challenges that could potentially arise within that particular community. I made the comment without really appreciating what it was, I think, that I was saying, but I noted that if it got difficult for them for those reasons, it would probably be the best thing that could possibly happen for that church plant in that particular community. There seems to be a special portion of grace afforded those who struggle in the work of advancing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might be surprised at the ways that God is pleased to use all of our efforts, even those who are met with stern objection to share the gospel. He uses them to draw people and glory to himself. Remember when the hardships arise that you are where you are to bear witness to the truth of the gospel, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus is honest about the challenges of evangelism and he promises to use those hardships created by evangelism for evangelism. But in truth, it's what is said in verses 19 and 20 that I came to talk about this morning. What I want you to get and lay hold of and take away. In verse 19, Jesus says, but when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you should speak. For you'll be given what to say at that hour. Because you are not speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you talking about the book of acts is acts not the story of the father speaking by the spirit through those who share the message of the gospel the book of acts begins in acts chapter 2 there is this story of this supernatural work of god's spirit as fiery tongues the spirit of god descends on the apostles this is this is true not only in the sense that god is giving them the ability to speak. This is not God just bringing to their remembrance the message of the gospel. This is not God empowering their natural vocabulary. They are literally speaking with words that exceed their cognitive ability. They speak in ways that are readily understood, that are that are intellectually assented to, that are processed and received by men of various nations. They have a capacity for the preaching of the gospel that is not their own in the most literal sense. And again and again and again, God supernaturally empowers his people for the preaching of the message of the gospel. There are in the Bible all of these points of unresolved friction and tension. Sometimes they make us easy, uh, uneasy rather, and sometimes they make us say dumb things in Bible study groups to try to alleviate the friction and the tension created. Theologically, the most obvious example and one that often comes up is the friction and tension that exists between the absolute sovereignty of God over all things and the responsibility of every man and woman woman and boy and girl to repent of their sin and to believe on Jesus. That's an obvious point of friction and tension that exists within the Bible. But there are far more practical examples of this as well. There are two specifically that I like to cite often. Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, followed shortly thereafter by the admonition that we would let our left hand know what our right hand is doing wisdom understands that what jesus is stating is that there are times when your good deeds ought to be done secretly and then there are times when you ought to do your good works before men in order that they may see those good works and glorify your father who is in heaven or the exhortation from proverbs that we should answer not a fool according to his folly Followed shortly thereafter by the admonition that we would answer a fool according to his folly. Wisdom is understanding the timing of these two commands, these two exhortations. There is a time to call a spade a spade and a fool a fool. And there is a time to let a fool be a fool and to go about our merry way. Wisdom knows what time it is when it's appropriate to do which. There are multifaceted truth statements like this all over the teaching of the Bible. But there's one with regards to evangelism that we almost always neglect. In the weeks to come, we're gonna talk about methods and processes and what it looks like to share the message of the gospel. We're gonna talk about being precise and being clear, communicating the gospel in a way that is easily understood by all who hear the message. And it's important that we would do that. You, as an individual, ought to practice, you ought to refine the ability to communicate your personal testimony, your experience of coming to faith in Jesus and the message of the gospel that was the source of your salvation, you should have the ability to articulate that to, the, to others In conversation, to say to them, in short form, Jesus came to save sinners. And in long form, God so loved the world that he gave his son for us. Jesus lived without sin and he died on the cross as an act of sacrifice that my sin might be forgiven. He was buried, but he was raised again on the third day. And because of that message, I have hope everlasting. But our laboring toward precision in communicating the gospel ought to never be confused with the idea that your persuasion persuasion your precision your charisma your personality your networking ability your relationships your communication skills will ever will ever will ever be a compelling factor in a person coming to faith in Jesus only God can do that. Only God can do that. Now, when you get that, when you see those two sides of this multifaceted principle of evangelism, yes, labor and strain and strive toward precision and clarity and methodology. You want to be at home and comfortable in sharing the gospel. But simultaneous to that Understand that only God can touch and turn the hearts of man. Only God can do the work of salvation. This is a liberating, a liberating reality. Jesus says in verse 19, when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you should speak. For you'll be given what to say at that hour. Because you are not speaking But the spirit of your father is speaking through you. I can think about my own experience in the years leading up to my coming to faith in Jesus. Probably the person that made the most effort at investing the message of the gospel. I had an aunt. She would pick us up from time to time and take us to church. And if you could survive the cheap cigarette smoke between there and that little country church, you'd get to a church service and have the time of your life. She was not a perfect person. I'll leave it at that. And yet there was effort on her. There was a deposit of the gospel, even in ways that I was unaware of, that made a difference in the long term in my life personally. I'm not telling you that your life doesn't matter. Certainly, character matters. It provides foundation for credibility that we might be well-received within the world around us, and it has direct impact on the way people hear and understand the message of the gospel. But that is a far different thing than believing that somehow you can character your way to being a powerful evangelist. It is God who does the work of salvation. Rest in that. Labor and strain and strive toward holiness. Labor and strain and strive toward gospel clarity. Labor and strain and strive toward a good understanding as to how to share the message of the gospel. And then don't worry about how or what you will say. Because it's not you speaking, but the Spirit of the Father who speaks Through you. Do you feel a sense of freedom in that observation? Is that not encouraging? In essence, what Jesus is saying is, don't be afraid when you come before kings and governors. Don't be afraid of that awkward pause. Don't be afraid of the awkward silence. Don't be afraid of pressure from your peers. Don't be afraid of an embarrassing moment. Don't be afraid of their intimidation. I'll meet you there, and I'll provide the words. Isn't that encouraging? Jesus has promised here that he would meet us in our efforts to share with others. The Spirit provides the words to speak the power to speak them, the wisdom to discern the moment, and the saving grace to deliver the lost. That's not my work. That's not your work. That's Jesus' work. Don't fear, Jesus says. I'll meet you there. I don't know about you, but I really want to be where Jesus is. I want to be close to him. You wrestle in the Christian experience with this sense of nearness. At times, a sense of distance. But again, you can trace, for me, in my personal walk with Christ, you can trace the high water marks in terms of my sense of nearness to Jesus, which, by the way, is not always a terribly reliable sense. But you can trace the sense of nearness to those times in my life when I have been most diligent, most intentional in the sharing of the message of the gospel. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word and its encouragement to us this morning. I I pray, God, that there would be a clear understanding of the gospel by all who are here. Speak, Lord, with clarity that exceeds our ability to convey our powers of communication, God, by the still, small voice of your Holy Spirit. Would you impress upon those who have gathered here, the truth of the simple message that Jesus came to save sinners. I pray, God, there'd be an awareness that Jesus is actively seeking the lost to save them from their sin. God, I pray for your church that you would embolden and mobilize us for the sharing of the message of the gospel far and wide. Lord, thank you for your great grace toward us.